and I'll get another million emails from people with attendant problems that want to over the email um, solution. Welcome back to another episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Morgan. And so today's guest is Professor Jill Cook. She hails from Australia and is the world's leading expert in the health of tendons. So we talk about um, this specifically related to ultra runners. It's a great show. It was a really good conversation, which I enjoyed. And uh, I hope you guys do too. So enjoy. Hey, uh, Professor Jill Cook, welcome to the Christian Ultra Podcast. Um, it's great to have you on the show. And thanks for taking your time to come and say hi to my uh, listeners. Would you like to? Pleasure. Yeah, cool. Would you like to introduce yourself, um, who you are, <laughs> what you do and what your history is? Okay, so I'm not an ultramarathoner. That would be the first thing. I can't think of anything worse. So I admire your listeners for what they achieve. We will um, convert uh, you at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a, a clinical physiotherapist uh, for many years, probably 20, 30, and then became a researcher with an interest in tendon injuries and, and sports injuries generally. So for the last 20 years, I've been looking at uh, what happens in tendons with pathology, how we diagnose them clinically, how we manage them, sort of across the gamut, but mostly low limb tendons, which is pertinent to your group. Yeah, cool. And what, how about what kind of um, interested you to, what, what inspired you to kind of take this career direction? Well, I started working with a men's basketball team and we had a couple of players with patella tendinopathy and I was young and enthusiastic in those days and I went oh, to so, the literature. So you're not enthusiastic <laughs> anymore, come on. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm not young anymore. I might still be enthusiastic, but I'm cool, not young Cool, that's, that's a pass. <laughs> um, and so I went to the literature looking for something that would help me clinically manage these athletes and there was absolutely nothing there. In fact, it was uh, not only was there no clinical management strategies, but there's a whole lot of... Um, disconnect between what some people thought and others so there was a whole a lot of literature that didn't really help me so I started to do some very bad research and then ended up being picked up by a couple of fabulous people who helped me get started on a PhD and completed that and then have just really gone on from there to try and again our whole focus is to help patients and clinicians we don't do research just for research sake we want each project to give us an outcome that helps people with this condition um, improve. Yeah, so really um, focused, yeah, focused on the actual, uh, what do they call patient rather? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's yeah, an... focused on, on the clinical presentation and the clinical management of, of lower limb tendinopathy, yes. So actually, um, could a could I get a uh, kind of tendon for dummies? You know, what is a tendon in the body and what's its role, including sure. me? <laughs> <laughs> so a tendon is connective tissue that connects muscle to bone. So when your muscle contracts, the force is transmitted through your tendon to the bone and 
the muscle activity causes the bone to move. That's simplistic. Tendons are much, much more complex than that. And for athletes, the key thing is that tendons act like a spring when you do faster movements. So it's not just a simple one-to-one transmission. What will happen in faster activities, especially in athletic endeavours, is the muscle will contract and then stop contracting. The, the tendon will store energy like a spring and then return it back to you um, so that you can sprint faster, jump higher, change direction quicker. So muscle activity is relatively slow. Tendon spring-like activity is very, very quick and very, very efficient metabolically. That's what gets us into trouble in athletic endeavours. It's not just the force transmission. It's about the spring-like behaviour of tendons. So every time you think you really understand tendons, there's actually something deeper. That's about half of what tendons do. But I think for your intents and purposes, that's a good enough start. Yeah, actually, could I just go into that a little bit more? So, so yeah, because running is, again, not just there's so many different types of running. So you have like a 100 meter track runner compared to um, ultra running. And even though you're up, standing up, and you're moving forward using your legs, there's definitely a different style of activity happening. One is um, an explosive 10 second anaerobic um, activity. And the other one may actually last, and this might sound extreme, but it's the truth, ultra running, it may be a 16 hour endeavor of kind of uh, low zone one two conversational pace is there a difference in the role tendons play in those two different running activities or variants absolutely the track athlete the sprinter jumper will use every single tendon spring in their leg that they can so jumping athletes get patella tendon or kneecap tendon problems a sprinters obviously get achilles tendon problems and you can actually get tendon issues in and around the hip as well. So you use every spring in your leg to get you faster or higher. In an in a, a, a ultra distance or anything that's a little bit slower, you can sort of fudge it a bit. You can use more muscle strength. You don't actually have to demand as much from your tendons the slower you go. And ultra um, distance stuff will be obviously slower than a sprinter. The issue that we have is that the, the Achilles is, is, is a bit more vulnerable because even when you go slower, you still actually use your Achilles as a spring. And a really good demonstration of that in, in everyday life is if you go up and, down, up and down steps, you'll still use a lot of spring-like activity in your Achilles. So you can still be going fairly slow, but you'll actually still put massive loads on the Achilles. The rest of the leg springs don't do quite so much work. Although hill running is a whole different sort of, um, uh, in, uh, in terms of your tendon load, is a whole different sort of kettle of fish. You tend to load more your hamstring tendons, um, your glute tendons, if you're doing hills. If you're going up, I guess. Yeah. And no, down more. Down more. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah. up will get your hamstrings, down will get your hamstrings and Achilles, down will get your patella tendons. So hills bring a whole different level of spring-like activity into tendons, even when you're going a little bit slower. But um, 
yeah, you, your Achilles tends to work pretty much as a spring for all activities that we've, we've talked about. And probably a good question here is, um, so what uh, typical injuries with uh, tendons would you get in runners actually, because you've mentioned the Achilles here a few times. And actually, I think I've done a bit of research. <laughs> the Achilles is the largest tendon in the human body. There you go. It stores a lot of energy. It, it, it's, a, you know, if you're a really good sprinting athlete, you've got a big, long Achilles. You can use that as a massive spring. So um, what gets us into problems is repetition. So the more often you use your tendon as the spring, the more load that you put on it, the more likely you are to end up with a pathology and then as a consequence pain. So but that's again fairly simplistic. So I can create tendon tendinopathy, which is pain and dysfunction in the tendon, in two ways. I can create the problem with an acute overload. So two ways you can acutely overload a tendon. I can go from a couch potato to trying to be an ultramarathon runner and I want to do it in a week. So all of a sudden I put a big unaccustomed load on a tendon and it will just react um, uh, massively to that impost, basically. Second way we see it much less commonly is a direct blow on a tendon will actually create problems um, for you. But the second way, aside from acute overload, is most tendons, and, and not the patellar tendon in this case, but most tendons tend to have a cumulative load um, response. That is. The more you load it, the more likely you are to have pathology, the more likely you are to have pathology, the more likely you have pain. So you tend to have more pathology in your tendon as you get older. And if you're a running athlete, you accumulate more pathology than if you're a non-running athlete. There's a couple of studies that show that really clearly. So sort of like, it's almost like a load accumulation disease. And if you're an ultramarathon um, runner uh, or endurance athlete like, like your group that listen to this, um, they will be accumulating um, load in their tendons. Now that creates the pathology. The issue that we have is that the pathology doesn't mean you have pain. So if we took an ultrasound to all of your ultra distance marathon runners, we'd probably yeah. find lots and lots of pathology, but not all of them will be painful and not all of them will get painful. So there's that disconnect between what happens in the tendon and what causes the pain yeah that's really interesting i was listening to one of your um you were on another podcast and you know i think you mentioned a similar thing about you don't necessarily get a pain signal from tendinopathy um, from tendon pathology so tendinopathy is the clinical term it's really good to be clear about this yeah tendinopathy is pain and dysfunction in the tendon without us worrying about what your pictures look like or, or getting a biopsy of your tendon. So it's just a clinical presentation. Presentation That's tendinopathy. Tendon, tendon pathology is actual change in the tendon. Now, tendinopathy comes when you had tendon pathology, but you can have tendon pathology without having tendinopathy. I'm sorry to be pedantic <laughs> about it, but I think it's really important to be clear that the pathology in the tendon is quite different from the clinical symptoms. No, actually, I'm going to throw in something to make it even a little bit more confusing. So I often hear uh, one of my questions fused, like, what's the difference between tendinitis and tendinopathy? Because that confuses me a and lot I'm sure people. other people. Yeah. So it's easy. Tendinitis 
means inflammation in the tendon. So it's a pathological diagnosis. So when you present with pain in your tendon, I don't know if it's a tendonitis or a tendinosis, which means degeneration in the tendon. So we get away from using tendinosis, tendinitis, because we never know what's happening in the tendon. There's no way we can tell if it's inflamed or not. Mostly it's not. Um, but the way to do that is to call it tendinopathy, which means I actually don't care what's happening in your tendon. What you are presenting with is pain and dysfunction in your tendon. So we tend, that's a bad word, we try, <laughs> not, to use, we try not to use the tendonitis, tendinosis words as much because that is something that we can't actually show because sure. we, we need to actually have a piece of a tendon to show that it's inflamed or not or it's degenerative or not. But tendinopathy means dysfunction and pain. Yeah, that's um, nicely explained. I have a better understanding. And so um, <laughs> what could, uh, I suppose, specifically to ultra runners, some of the warning signs be, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but that you have tendinopathy? Oh, okay. Um, if, there are no warning signs that you have tendon pathology. Um, you can have it for years and never actually have symptoms. So that can be accumulating in your tendon and you might never get into trouble. The sort of the, the prodromal sort of symptoms of tendinopathy is a bit of pain when you start running that, that settles as you run and then a little bit of stiffness the next morning. So if you're talking the Achilles, it's a classic. You know, you run the day before, you, you get out of bed the next morning and you take a couple of steps and you think, oh, a bit stiff in my Achilles today. That's a suggestion that your tendon is, is having a little bit of a protest. So morning mm. after or day after pain and stiffness is a little bit of a protest from your tendon. Now, if you continue to ignore that, you can go two ways. It can either disappear or it can get worse. But I want to sort of flag for your group the most important thing in terms of um, capacity or predisposition to onset of tendon pain and dysfunction is a change in load. And if we all got smart and didn't suddenly change our loads, we probably wouldn't see that much tendinopathy. So this is um, someone increasing their miles, someone starting to run hills in your group. Things like a change in shoes can make a difference, a change in surface can make a difference. Um, some other activity aside from your running, so you're um, suddenly, it, it, I'm just trying to think of something, but you're actually doing a different job and you're walking a lot during work, but then you're running, whereas normally you sit at work and then you run. So yeah, yeah. An, an increase in load that the tendon is not used to is the surest thing that you might predispose yourself to, to symptoms, but the early symptoms are that day after stiffness. Okay, yeah, that does make sense. Um, and how about running, the, the style of running? Because uh, often one of the discussions in the world of running is um, foot strike. You know, actually um, some people are heel strikers, um, you know, with a big chunk of rubber under their heel. Other people have more minimal shoes and tend to midfoot, forefoot strike. And then I suppose when you're mid-foot, forefoot striking, then you're really working that Achilles, I guess, and, and asking a lot from it. Um, how does that relate to 
running like injury in the tendon yeah it it it, it absolutely is reflected in my last um explanation in that if you are a heel striker or a midfoot striker or a forefoot striker and that's what you're used to then stick with it it's the change that creates the problem so if somebody you, you go to a new coach and he says we're going to make you run faster you're going to need to strike midfoot or forefoot and you haven't done that previously that will expose the achilles tendon in particular to massive loads so change in the way you try and do things can make a big difference to attendance to attendance if you were going to try and change from a rear foot to a mid or, or forefoot striker i think you need months to years to really get the achilles to adapt to those loads i think it's a 12 to 18 month process yeah. of actually being able to um, take those loads in the Achilles and you might not ever be able to. So my my answer to that is don't change anything unless there's a really, really good reason to do it because that's where we always get into trouble. Um, certainly being a, a, a four-foot striker, you do, you take massive loads through your Achilles, calf, Achilles, ankle, foot complex. You take less load on your knee and your hip. Um, so if you had a chronic knee problem, that would be a really good solution in inverted commas. Um, but you could easily end up with a knee problem and an Achilles problem or a knee problem and a plantar fascia problem because you're changing the load. So my plea would be just leave, leave the bear alone. Don't poke the bear unless there's a very, very good reason to do it. There's the adult age old saying, don't fix it if it's not broken, you know? Yeah. yeah. And if it is broken and you do need to change anything it, from a tendon perspective, in fact, from all a musculoskeletal perspective is you have to go slowly. Yeah. Um, you know, we get delayed muscle soreness. If we suddenly increase our muscle load and we get muscle tightness and stiffness, if we overdo our endurance stuff, we get stress, bone strain and stress fractures if we overdo our load in bone, tendons are exactly the same. Too much, too soon, too, too big a change, musculoskeletal tissues don't like it. They like to go out, and what I say to my patients, my athletes, is tendons like to go out each week and do the same thing. And if you wanna change something, you've gotta change just a little bit each week. Yeah. And so, and wait for the tendon to adapt. And tendons are relatively slow beasts. Muscles are much quicker. Bones are much quicker. Tendons mm. are just slow to change. Yeah. So they're, they're the laid back um, matter of the body, you know, like, yeah, we'll change when we're ready. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I, I like that. Thinking of the tendon as the lazy part of the body. <laughs> um, so I suppose we've talked about injury a lot and, change you know for example yeah if you're going to introduce anything new do it as a small percentage each week don't just like yeah jump off the couch and run an ultra marathon um i suppose that's why it takes years how about then steps towards recovery um you know for someone who does have a tendon injury and would you can yeah yeah what kind of steps would you recommend someone would take and i know that's quite a broad question Okay, so it depends on so many things. If you have some early symptoms of tendon um, irritation or tendon overload, the best thing to do is listen to the tendon now. So 
So as soon as the tendon starts to say, I'm having a bit of trouble with the loads you're putting on me, if you ignore that and continue to load, we end up in all sorts of trouble. If you listen at that point and say, okay, what have I changed? All right, I'm doing, you know, I've changed my shoes and I'm running a couple more hills. Okay, I'm going to go back to my old shoes. I'm going to run less hills and I'm going to let this settle. And sometimes it can take a to settle. But if you get it at that stage, you don't get into any more trouble. So I would argue that the most important thing you can do is constantly just have that, your what we say is your antenna up as to whether your tendons are pretty happy. If you continue to load and continue to ignore it and your symptoms get worse and worse, so initially you get warm-up pain and then you're right for your run and you get the cool-down morning-after pain. Uh, talking Achilles because it's just the easiest one to talk about. What happens is it starts to not warm up and then your morning symptoms the next day are worse. Um, so this is you just loading a tendon that's telling you clearly, I don't want to be loaded like that or I don't like that amount of load. If you continue to do it, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Now, once you have um, sort of that level of pain, you start to unload. So you start to not load as much on that, on that affected muscle tendon unit, that affected leg. Then we get into all sorts of trouble. So we start to see changes in muscle strength and bulk on that side because you're not loading as much. But then we start to see injuries on the other side because you're actually loading that side more. If that's when we see it, then we have to do a whole range of exercise-based, load-based interventions to actually reintroduce capacity in the muscle, the tendon, the connection, and the brain. So we affect, try and affect all, all four things. So that when you go out and run, you actually have the capacity in that muscle tendon unit to do it. Um, as soon as you start to unload, um, there's only one thing that's going to happen and that's going to get worse. Yeah. So the idea is to really catch it early, I guess. And absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. A bit like when you go the wrong way um, off trail, when you trail running, you want to stop, go back to where you get lost and then reassess the situation there. Um, how about, um, so would would weight training be a part of an active recovery program? Um, for So, okay, the sport of ultra running typically means that people just go out and they run. They don't do, I'm not saying everybody's the same, but I'd say there'd be a certain amount of people who would fall in the, t the category of running, without doing anything else you know is there is there things you can do to keep your tendons healthy you know so yep yeah yeah absolutely absolutely aside from what we've talked about which is not change your load and if you do change it gradually staying strong in your muscles is the best thing that you can do to prevent tendon injury now it might, I know what everyone's thinking. I run, you know, 60 million miles a week and I'm strong because I run that distance. And the answer is that is not true. Yeah. We see athletes who run 60 million miles a week and we isolate out their calf function, stand them on one leg and ask them to do some decent quality heel raises and sometimes they can't do five. Now, if you're... Your, your muscle is fatigued after five repetitions. That's five, ten steps down your trail or you're down your road and your calves are worn out. And as soon as your calves start to fatigue, then the load goes on your tendon more. So we 
absolutely mandate that you get as strong as you possibly can in your affected muscle tendon unit, but also your whole kinetic chain, you get strength endurance. So that we would then add a, a, a different sort of type of exercise to get strength endurance in your muscle. And then of course, repetitions of the ultra fast stuff that you're doing. Um, that's sort of like our recovery process. But I am always amazed about how little strength work runners often do how little they think that it's important, how they think that running makes you strong. And the answer is none of that is true. And if you wanted to prevent tendon injury, control your loads, listen to your tendon and get strong. Yeah, so definitely uh, what you're pretty much saying is that um, a, a routine weight training um, session, you know, like, uh, you know, weekly routine weight training session would be definitely beneficial and key, in fact, not beneficial, but key in maintaining healthy tendons. So actively resisting your muscles, you know, re resistance training. Resistance training, he heavy, slow resistance training. Not only do you benefit your, your tendon, you benefit your muscle, you benefit your bone because the biggest load on bone is, in fact, muscle contraction. And we know bone is one of the real issues in ultra distance sort of running. But I'll guarantee you, you will be a better runner. That's I the bet, thing. I, I bet there's literally hundreds of people, if not, well, it depends how many people listen to my podcast, but uh, quite a few people out there who are going, yes, now I know how to get strong <laughs> tendons. And there's other people going, oh no, now I've got to go to the gym. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, look. You know, if, if I thought it was just prevention of injury, and it's really hard to do things to prevent something that might or might not happen. I, I get that that's hard for people. But if I tell you that you'll be a better runner because you do a weights program, that's an immediate return of value to you for something that's really important to you. Um, I we do We do this all the time with runners say okay you know you've got a tendon injury you need to get in the gym oh get big muscles and i can't especially can't have big calves because i have to drag them around you know tell someone who cares get in the gym get strong get strength endurance get power and bam they love it in the long term it's a bit of a bit of a fight to start it but once they get back to running they actually realize how much it helps them well, I suppose uh, it'd be nice to ask you a few questions about specifically kind of exercises that, you know, running specific exercises in the gym or bearing against weight. What, what kind of things um, do you recommend to, to runners to maintain healthy tendons? What kind of exercises? Okay, so we're talking about our leg spring. So every time your foot hits the ground, you absorb the energy in your calf, your quads and your glutes, basically. A few other things as well. So they're the ones that absorb the energy and then return it back so that you can propel yourself forward. So we want to focus on those anti-gravity muscles. So we need an incredibly strong calf complex. So we would do seated and standing calf raises, single leg with weights. We would do a quad program, so leg press, leg extension, and we would do a hip program, so either hip machine or side planks or hip thrusters or something like that. If that is all you did, then you're going to get massive benefit, very little input. Um, 
if you're a hill runner, then you obviously need to add in things like hamstrings and, and the, you know, glute max and things like that. So it would be a little bit specific um, mm. to what you wanted to achieve. And once you're strong, then you can look towards the strength endurance thing, which I think is pretty critical for your group. And this would be repetitions with some load. So you might do, you know, sets of 20 or 30 with a, with a lighter load than what you're doing with the slow resistance training. Um, and that might, you might think, oh, well, I run much more than 20 steps. But the answer is your endurance will carry over and you'll, you'll you know, get to the top of the, you know, hills quicker and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's pretty simple. It's not a massive investment in time. Mm. So I can actually get to the gym, knock out, the really, really important things in terms of strength for my lower legs in about 10 or 15 minutes. And I only need to do it two times a week. To so say two times. Yeah, two, three is ideal, but two is enough. Um, three, if you're trying to get a bit stronger, might be good. But once you're strong, just two times a week. So you're talking 30 minutes a week. You, you, these are guys that are, that are running, you know, 10, 12, 15 hours a week. Yeah. You know, I'm asking, I'm asking for 15 minutes twice a week, 30 minutes a week. So it's not a big impost. You can run to the gym, do your exercise and run home or something like that. But um, it's by far our biggest protector for all our musculoskeletal tissue. Hear that, guys. Come on. 30 minutes a week. You know, it's a small ask. No, I'm really pleased It's to hear this news from you. It, it, it really is enlightening, you know, to think that you can just maintain healthy. So actually another question ar arose in my mind. So there's a famous runner called Killian Journey, probably one of the best ultra runners um, on the planet. Have you heard of this fellow? No. No, <laughs> all right. Well, in the world of ultra running, super famous. And he's well known for not doing um, strength work in the gym. You know, he's a mountain runner, loves to be outside, kind of looking at three to six hours every day. Um, yeah, hugely successful. And there's a book uh, featuring uh, him and talking about his style of training and saying that he gets his strength from, for example, let's say he's going up a mountain. He may do X amount of sets of a higher intensity and then a recovery. Does that count as strength training? Yep, I think it does actually. It's it's sort of like strength endurance, so it's not pure strength. Um, but you know, we all know that if we run up five flights of stairs, we're pretty tired in our muscles and huffing and puffing at the top of those. So you get a strength endurance from that sort of training. It would be so interesting for someone like that to actually look at his base strength, and obviously it's successful for him just to do strength endurance and. For a lot of people with tendon injuries who, who don't like the gym, we do do strength endurance. We do a lot of stair climbing as rehab um, and particularly on our toes. So we get the people to walk up and down and then we run up and down and we run two steps at a time. That sort of stuff's really important in, in rehabbing a tendon, but you often can't get there unless you have a base strength. Now, sometimes you can have a base strength but if you have any injury so this is where we get into trouble is you've sprained your ankle it doesn't have to be a tendon injury you've sprained your ankle your wife's had a baby you've missed you know some training it's that loss of strength from unloading that gets us into trouble and that's especially when we need some strength work to get us back up to a base once you have a good strength base i think you can do a lot of strength endurance i would still argue that they're different and that 
you, the best result that you could get would be to combine the two. But, you know, that's a personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. Can I just check in with you there over your microphone? Is There's a slight tapping noise. It's, you, you, Probably me. Oh, oh, no, I thought it was maybe the reception or anything. No worries. I can always um, keep it in or edit it out, but no, fine. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so actually you don't need to go into a gym, I guess, to then become, you know, to do strength training. You could do, depends, I guess, on what the exercise are. What kind of exercises could someone do like outdoor and is body weight enough to create that stimulus? Uh, it just varies so much from person to person, you know. So if we see older ladies with an Achilles problem who play golf, we use lots of body weight exercises. We wouldn't ask them to go to the gym. Um, and you can do repetitions of a single leg calf raise. The Australian Ballet has a fabulous video on their, on their website about how to do a decent calf raise. Um, and I challenge all of your listeners to actually look at that video and just see how many they can do. So a decent dancer will do 30 quality full raise, full height calf raises. I bet you there'd be, all of you guys would be struggling to do 10, basically. So um, there's, there's that. You can do sort of wall sit Spanish squat type things for your um, for your quads. You can do deadlifts with a little bit of weight or, you know, something for your hammies. You can do hip thrusters. You can do a lot out of the gym. Um, for me, if you're talking about your sport specifically, I would want to be sure before I went to that type of exercise that you actually had a base strength. So getting strength endurance is, is hard if you don't have a good base strength. Um, and I, again, would argue for the, for the commitment that a bit of gym work asks of you, the return value is just enormous. But you can do it without it, and we do do it regularly without it. So I guess it's an individual thing. It depends on your history of injury um, if you can stand in front of the mirror and look at your calves and say realistically they're exactly the same size great but we see so many people who've had an injury where one calf is half the size of the other in that case it's really hard to rehab somebody with just body weight you actually have to do something to get a stimulus on an injured muscle tendon unit um, more than just body weight but you know it's it, it's it's interesting. What I will argue is if you have an injury and you go to a, a clinician and they give you TheraBand exercises and, you know, waving your leg in the air, go and find someone else who loads you properly because <laughs> that, is, that is not sufficient for your listeners. Yeah. No. Um, so actually, yeah, that's a really good point there. Um, so in terms of strength, <clears throat> Let's say uh, there's a runner out there or lots of them who think they're strong because they run. So now they've listened to this podcast. They're like, okay, I'm going to be a better runner. Therefore, I'm going to dedicate that 30 minutes a week. Um, and then you spoke about base fitness and then strength endurance. Could you um, talk about the process of someone beginning a strength training program and then base fitness and strength endurance 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I think uh, you, you if you've not if you're not a gym rat and you're not familiar with it, I think you need a little bit of help to get you into that. Um, uh, that that comes with its all its own issues in that there are a lot of people out there teaching strength and conditioning exercises who actually don't understand injury particularly well and what you're trying to achieve. Um, so it becomes really difficult for me to say, go to the gym, get some strength and conditioning advice. They'll have you doing squats and deadlifts on two legs. Um, I would argue quite clearly that you need to be single leg. Um, you need to be isolated. So we spend in tendons, and I'm not saying this is right for everybody, doing specific calf exercises on the right leg and then specific calf exercises on the left leg and then specific quad exercises on the right. You know, so if you do a, if you do a, a, a squat double leg, um, that's everything. That's your hips, your knees, and your, your calves all working on both legs. And you'll get stronger for sure, but it won't actually tease out any imbalances you have. Mm -hmm. So for me, I guess it depends. It's, are you rehabbing and do you have some deficits that need attention or do you just want to get stronger? If you just want to get stronger, you might be able to get away with some squats and some deadlifts and stuff like that. The thing I would argue more than anything is whatever you do, you actually have to do tough work as, as an ultra-distance runner. Um, or, or endurance athlete, if you don't have decent calves, you're going to go nowhere. So I would argue you need to do both standing and seated calf raises in isolation um, to really uh, get a base strength. But it's so individual. I, I, um, I think it depends on where you go, you know, who, who resonates with you. Sometimes you can go to a gym and you think, oh, I don't believe a single word that person says. But if someone can make a good case that you understand as to what might make you a better runner, that, that would be great. I think they exist. I think there's a lot more people out there that who probably don't necessarily understand the specifics of what people need post-injury, but um, they are out there and you can find them. So I would say just keep looking until you find a place that you're comfortable with and you feel that is contributing to improvements in your running. Yeah. And, and so definitely looking out for not only just a place that you're comfortable with and people that you um, have confidence in, but then um, so it, a, a good um, a sign of more expertise would be like then single, you're saying more single leg things. Uh, so more sports specific and to also to to create a balance in the in the body. Whereas I guess if you're doing double leg exercises like you say a squat if one side's weaker you may be pushing up more on the stronger side and enhancing that imbalance so exactly single leg exactly. stuff the thing for me that's really important if you see somebody is that they don't just give you a generic program they actually look at what you're capable of you know they have some sort of history of your running and your injuries and then they look at what you can do each leg and which parts so what we do is we look at one leg and then the other and then for the affected leg we'll break it down into each joint and each muscle and say is this one functioning well is that one functioning well and then we pick up the ones that are dysfunctional and then we address those um, specifically so you, you don't want to walk in any, any anywhere and someone say, oh, well, here's your program, you know, and it's always the same, you know, it's, you know, 
hectic and, uh, you know, black cool downs and a few squats and a few of this and a few of that. You actually want somebody who will pay attention to specifically what you need. The second thing I think is, aside from people chronically underloading, um, so giving you exercises too simple, is I think you actually need good equipment. I, uh, you know, you, you can get away with a few weights and a, and, a, and a bench and stuff like that, but not not for the type of athletes that you that are listening to this podcast. You actually need to go to the gym. You need to be confident you're getting what you need out of it, but you need to get the best out of your 15 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're using um, weights that are really not stressing you, you know, you know for example, if you did um, a leg press, you want to be able to do four sets of six, four sets of eight, get off and not actually be able to do a fifth set. You know, you need to be tired. You need to have enough weight that yeah. that's, what it, that's what it gets from you. So if the equipment's not meeting your needs, go somewhere else. You know, just keep looking until you find somewhere else that's that's appropriate for you. Yeah, and actually, actually the, um, maybe uh, you could say about weight and reps because I suppose that's something that can be confused. Should I lift heavy weights and low reps or should I lift a light weight and do more reps? And and then I suppose sets then also come into to. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I guess when you're beginning, you would slowly introduce, but could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, you know, with a tendon injury, and that's really what my expertise is, we expect heavy slow resistance. So heavy being the operative word. So we're looking for about 25 or 30 reps. Now, the smaller the packages you put together, the, the smaller number of reps you put in each set, the heavier the weight you can do. So we would prefer reps of six maybe seven and then a then a break and then another seven then a break then another seven and then a break and then another seven or something like that um if you do two sets of 15 then you need you can't do that weight you actually mm. have to do lower weights so for the heavy slow resistance part of things you want smaller, lower number of reps in more sets, and you want about 25 or 30 reps. Total. Total. Broken yeah. down into four and sets. You want, yeah, that's right. And you want a little less than a minute between your each between each set. So you want to get to the end of your four sets of seven, four sets of eight, and be so tired you couldn't do another set. Now, after a while, you might throw in two sets of 15 on one day, which is more a strength endurance type of program mm. um, or you know uh, yeah so that would do um, but your weights are going to have to be lower so we would always start with the heavy part and then change it up so that we got um, strength endurance and then we'd start to do strength endurance on stairs um, walking stairs running stairs you know running two stairs at a time jumping you know if you're a hill runner particularly you've got to be able to have those springs working um, so it's a, it's a progressive loading program. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, one of my questions I wanted to ask you is, um, how about people, I've, I've heard people say, oh, I'm gonna have an injection. I, I don't really know anything about it, so I'm not gonna go into the details. I think cortisol or something, but I'm not really sure what I'm talking about. But I do hear people say, oh, I'm gonna have an injection. What? How is that gonna work and what are other, well, is it better to take the other measures you've been speaking about? Yeah, okay. That, that's such a loaded question. 
So injections can have be directed at a number of structures and a number of things. So very often people aim to inject the area of pathology because they think that fixing the pathology, in inverted commas, will fix the pain. Well, what we know is that pathology can be pain-free. Yeah. So you can. there's no point in directing your injection therapies at the pathology because we can actually make the pain-free without even worrying about the pathology. Um, the cortisone or corticosteroids actually address both tendon pathology and, and tendon inflammation, and they're used as a short-term sort of intervention to try and get you over a hump or into an Olympic final or something like that. Um, but all of these things are useless if you don't address the underlying dysfunction in the tendon or the muscle tendon. Because we're talking about excess load creating pain and the tendon not having the capacity to deal with that load. If you have an injection and don't exercise, what happens is you usually have a break or a rest after your injection. In fact, after three or four weeks of rest, you're actually weaker and you have less capacity. You go back to your running and your pain comes back. So any injection therapy without addressing the dysfunction and the lack of capacity is a waste of time. Now, what we can do is we can actually get you back to running by addressing your dysfunction and your lack of capacity. So we often don't need injections. We, in the clinic, in the death, we call it the desperate and dateless clinic. So people who've had all of these injections and, and really had no response at all, come in with these profound um, levels of dysfunction where you can actually see massive muscle wasting, you know, kinetic chain dysfunction, and until that changes, you can inject things 20 times and it's not going to make a difference. So I think it's an easy option. Um, it's often an expensive option. But if you think it's going to be a fix, then you're going to be wrong. Yeah, almost like a, a short-term cover-up rather than a long-term solution. Um, Absolutely. Now, I'm not sure about this. That's why I'm going to ask you. <laughs> um does uh do our diets have anything to do the food we put i mean uh, you know let food be thy medicine can our food influence our tendon health pretty much the evidence is no um we know that the pathology doesn't change very much so nothing that you eat is going to suddenly heal a tendon nothing will heal a tendon pathology once it's degenerative stays the same and, and as I say it doesn't actually matter you can actually become symptom free and fully functional even with pathology so nothing will change that um look there's a whole range of things that are proposed to have an effect but I, the evidence is really really poor yeah um collagen is not needed if you have a tendon injury please don't rush out and buy collagen supplements because it's gonna you know make your skin bouncy and your hair glossy and your tendons add up it's all a load of rubbish there's a couple of studies on omega-3s they showed no benefit even with massive doses you know there's always the zincs and the vitamin c's and all of those things seriously um it's a bit like the heavy slow resistance if you eat a damn fine diet and if you're an ultra distance runner you will eat well and you will eat a lot of food you will get the nutrition that you need and you don't necessarily have to rush out and look for supplements um, yeah. to make things better. 
Um, so the evidence is pretty poor that, in fact, the evidence is pretty much non-existent that anything will hold pretenders. Um, what we do know, and it's not an issue for your, your group, but things like metabolic syndrome, so obesity, diabetes, all of those things are bad pretenders. Um, but it's, that's quite exclusive to the group that we're talking to today. Yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, just take a few steps back because I just thought also about, you know, when you were saying um, heavy, slow resistance, I guess there's two phases to that, isn't there? There's the, uh, I'll probably get this wrong, the eccentric and the eccentric. In other words, the, 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 the push and then the low, returning back to the start position. Do you emphasize on one more than the other? No. E equal? No, just, so, yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, so there was a big push towards eccentrics a little while ago, probably 20, 30 years ago now. Um, there's a lot of studies on eccentrics, and it's a really critical part of the process of storing energy in your muscle, in your in your tendon. So it's the fast eccentric in the muscle that then becomes isometric. It allows you to drop your spring off it. However, um, you don't need to do it in isolation. You, you'll get a better loading through doing just a concentric, eccentric. So lift it up, let it lower it down, lift it up, lower it down, whichever muscle it is. The only thing that we do do, and this is Ebony Rio's work, is we do a slightly longer eccentric phase. Now, if you think about heavy, slow resistance, the heavy we've talked about, slow is slow. It's at least two or three seconds each way. You can't go into the gym and go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I'm done. Yeah. You've got to go two or three seconds up. And what we would tend to do is if it's three seconds up, we do four seconds down. So yeah. four seconds eccentric, two seconds concentric, three seconds eccentric for calf and stuff like that. So it just depends on the muscle, but it needs to be slow. And a slightly longer eccentric phase is really important. Now, I'm glad you spoke about that because often in the gym, you do see people really just almost one second for the push and the pull phase completely so i think you just have to have a bit of patience i guess um and and really think about quality over quantity when you're doing those exercises just go well, to the gym and knock out your four sets of seven quickly and then do it slowly and just see the difference in the load on your muscles it's massive yeah yeah i suppose it's more time isn't it that's the thing more time, time. Under tension. yeah um and then uh i suppose just briefly wanted to touch on i mean let me take myself as a bit of a an example one of the reasons i did reach out to you and what made me really interested uh, you know in listening to your expertise is that i myself had like an adductor um they called it tendinopathy i actually had an mri and they said it was predominantly on the left so I did get given some really light exercises to do. Um, and it's not your typical kind of, that's more of a footballer's injury, which uh, surprised me. I guess I just take the action that you've spoken about really, just uh, get into the gym and do those. Yeah, it's a bit of a selfish question really, but yeah. Yeah. All right, this is, sorry, this is such a loaded question again. Um, if it's not a typical running injury, and it won't be, 
the critical thing is a differential diagnosis. So what is the source of your pain? Now, the important thing about your imaging, your magnetic resonance or your ultrasound, whatever you, you, the other, other people have, is it doesn't tell you the source of pain. You can't image pain. What happens when you image something like a groin, you find changes in the adductor tendon, you might find changes in the pubic symphysis, you might find changes in the hip joint. And so you have pathology in a, in a number of structures and it's up to the clinician to sort out which is painful. And it's so simplistic, and this is what a lot of practitioners do, you come in with a pain in and around a tendon, they take an image and it's pathological and they say, oh, the tendon is a source of pain. And that is not true a lot of the time. 50% of people we see in our desperate and dateless clinic come in with a diagnosis of tendinopathy but don't actually don't have it, um, have sort pain from another source. So think that there's two things that are really important. Differential diagnosis is really important and you do that through a proper clinical examination. Dependence on imaging is a disaster because if I imaged, you know, 100 people in the NBA, um, they'd all, you know, 50% of them would have patellar tendon pathology um, in their patellar tendons. Something like 20% of those would be have patellar tendonopathy, so pain from the tendon. Another 30% is going to have pain from another structure, so patellar femoral pain or something. The diagnosis is always linked back to the imaging, but yeah. in fact, it's not not the structure that's causing pain. Now, if I spend all my time trying to treat your adductor tendon and you're getting hip pain, hip-related pain or symphysis-related pain, then I'm not going to be successful. Right? And so um, that's really important. And if anybody gives you a light rehab, you know, find someone who will do a better job for you. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose you can't go wrong with just um, doing a, a, almost like a, again, for tendon health and longevity and probably a whole body approach. And, you know, the prevention, I guess, you know, call it prehab, if you will, you know. Can I give you a really good example? So Ankel Bassas is, is the Spanish physio with the jumping team in Spain. So track and field jumping team. Now they massively use their springs and he's done a fabulous job with them. They've won medals left, right and centre basically at Olympics and things like that. What he does is three months of every year before the season starts, they come in and they do a three-month strength and conditioning program and then he lets them jump for nine months and then he brings them back and he rehabs, prehabs them again, gets them mm. as strong as strong can be. And then yeah. they can jump for nine months. Um, so that's he's kept them jumping for years without any tendon problems. It's really, really hard to keep athletes in that intense competition tendon pain-free, but he's managed to do it with this fabulous prehabilitation, exactly what you've talked about. Yeah. Um, so often we're shutting the door, the horse is bolted, you've got an injury and you've got the dysfunction and the pain. If we could get people before that and actually get them strong and strength, endurance, and all of that, we'd be much better off. Well, you know, it's been a great conversation. I want to, um, people listening out there, how can they, uh, if they want to get in contact with you or want to find out about, uh, you know, um, you have like a clinic or you have, you said my athlete. So how, 
what what could people uh, benefit from you know kind of calling you up and um how can they get you and where can they go uh yeah look i, I tend have to you got hide space <laughs> <laughs> i tend to hide a little bit um so i'm not uh highly active in on the internet at all i don't have a, a web page or a blog i am on twitter um and i do respond to questions on twitter in a generic phase i'm obviously at a university so i work there my clinic is closed at the moment because of covid um we see uh two or three patients a week because the people we see take you know an hour and a half or two hours to sort out um because they're complex and they've had lots of interventions and lots of misdiagnosing there so our clinic's not very accessible um and we don't advertise it at all you just got to find us um, look, if you're D&D, &D, desperate and dateless, I do respond to emails, but I just die at the thought of 100 emails dropping into my email box tomorrow once this is released because I can give generic advice. I can't treat you over email or over yeah. phone or things like that. You actually need to find practitioners in your place that can help. And sometimes the best way for me to do it is actually talk to you with your practitioner. Yeah. so that you can actually we you know everybody can sort of advance i guess a bit um but yeah i'm i i tend not to be highly accessible just because i do drown a little bit i, I feel so privileged <laughs> honestly <I really> do. <laughs> no um uh, jill it's been a great chat I, i've really enjoyed this and the time's flown you know i we and we got we got through my list as well of questions oh even better <laughs> so um yeah i guess uh, i may uh, so i may see you on twitter send you a message or two now and again um <laughs> start using that well well it's been really interesting for me personally and i'm sure for everybody listening out there and um yeah so well oh yeah so just before we, we we end the podcast so you're based in australia then yes that's right in melbourne oh, okay i used to live in um cairns as a child uh, <laughs> yeah, north queensland we we won't hold that against you i, I went back I, I lived there as a child then i went back as an adult so i was like oh you know this place is interesting you know <laughs> <laughs> that's an understatement <laughs> um well hey it's been really good fun um i suppose we can just uh that's it show, show over and, and you've got nothing to add or anything there no not really been, yeah it's been great fun talking to you it really has yeah great thanks very much for the invite no it's it really was my pleasure we we made it work all right um jill you have a great what time is it over there by the way uh it's three o'clock in the afternoon okay it's 6 a.m here so <laughs> I, I got the rest of my day ahead of me <laughs> all right brilliant thank you for getting up so early oh pleasure all right jill uh you take care i'll uh hopefully speak to you again soon all right bye-bye okay bye christian see ya and there you guys have it that was mine and jill cook's conversation about the health of tendons i was really pleased how it went um especially that it was uh, the questions I was asking were related directly to ultra runners. So I hope you guys found that useful. I mean, I certainly did. Uh, I really appreciated that, you know, um, Jill spoke specifically about the 
amount of reps, the amount of sets, uh, the weights. Um, and so, yeah, so she said it, Jill said it herself. You guys want to be a better runner. You think you're strong if you don't do any strength training. You're not strong. Get outside, get out to the gym or get outside and do some kind of strength training and you will be a better runner. So it will directly benefit you. So, um, yeah, the podcast is uh, going along really nicely. Anyone who wants to find out about my uh, online run coaching services, please go and check out my website, which is www.christianultra.com. And that's Christian spelled with a K. Uh, Go and check me out. Look at my packages up there. Also, uh, follow me on Instagram, which is uh, Christian Ultra. You can find me on um, Instagram. And yeah, I think that's about it. So you guys, thanks for tuning in. And I'll see you guys next week with a new guest. And in the meantime, oh, actually, there's a little bit of an update. Uh, Yeah, Mercury on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, So she had a lower mileage today. She's now behind record pace. So I've been following that quite closely as I'm very passionate about the Appalachian Trail. And um, looks like she's, uh, I think the comment is from Warren Doyle is that she's um, enthusiastic and eager, but her body is not cooperating. So her body seems to be letting her down a little bit. Um, But anyway, that's an interesting journey. uh, If you're still following that, I'll put the link in the detailed show notes probably not so detailed all right you guys have a great rest of the week and again thanks for tuning into christian ultra and go ahead and please uh give me a um uh, what do you guys guys go ahead and subscribe to me uh christian ultra podcast and go ahead and give me a ideally a five star rating or just give me a rating you know i'm kind of really appreciative of that and also go ahead and if you enjoy this go ahead and share it with people you know share it with your friends anyone who enjoys ultra running and who wants to become a better athlete um, go ahead and share it with them again until next week i will um see you then have a great great week thanks guys bye